What's up, Cyber and Crypto brothers and sisters? Hope everybody's having a great week. Today is Friday, June the 21st of 2019. This is episode number 77 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. You want to follow me on Twitter? I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy on Twitter. Hit me up on there. All right, so got a couple things today I wanted to talk about on the cyber side of things. A few new um, hacks that have come out and new patches, things that you should be aware of. Also going to talk a little bit about uh, cyber insurance coverage because I'm, I'm personally dealing with that now, having to go through that whole process with various insurance providers, and I'll give you my, my experience with that, and hopefully it helps somebody else. On the crypto side of things, we'll be talking a little bit about, of course, the prices and how we're doing there. Also going to talk a little bit about the Bank of England, what they said about blockchain in general. And then also going to talk about a company called Live Peer. It's a decentralized uh, video platform. So I thought this was kind of cool. And the last thing on the crypto side, we'll, we'll continue the conversation about the uh, Facebook Libra cryptocurrency. So to kick things off, we'll start on the cybersecurity side of things. There's some new malware out there that, this was an interesting one, I haven't seen this before, but uh, it's on a, it affects Windows and Mac systems. Basically, the malware launches a Linux virtual machine and then automatically starts mining software with it. <laughs> That's crazy, right? But as we all know, Linda, uh, Windows has the uh, Linux subsystem for Windows or whatever it is, Win Windows subsystem for Linux, whichever way that goes. And you can basically run Linux in Windows. So I'm guessing that's what these hackers are, are taking advantage of. But, I mean, the article is basically saying they create a, a separate virtual machine. So that's certainly interesting there. thought that was kind of funny more than anything. All that to do crypto mining using your CPU. And I think it's funny because crypto mining with a CPU is painfully slow and wh why would you waste your time writing all this fancy software and code to mine with a cpu i mean you could make two pennies per day with a cpu and bitcoin i mean i guess if you got that on you know 400 million machines then it would be profitable but i don't think that that's extremely likely and even if you had it on a few hundred machines you'd still be making a dollar a day maybe two dollars a day so it's, I, I don't quite get the motivation there to mine crypto on a CPU, but just goes to show that hackers are using new ways to use cryptocurrency as part of their hacks. And as I said in the previous podcast, I do think that cryptocurrency will be the most targeted industry uh, here in the next couple years. All right, some other cybersecurity news here. There was a, uh, this one's pretty bad. <laughs> there is a uh, prescription medication database, and it, it had 78,000 patients, and it was in a database, a MongoDB, left wide open without a password on the internet. So, yeah, it's 78,000, so I guess that's a low number, but man, that's that's pretty bad. Pretty bad. Um, the drug specifically is called Vasepka or Vas Vaskepa, excuse me. Easy for me to say. Looks like it's a cholesterol type of 
medicine there. But, wow, you talk about very poor security. MongoDBs have been quite popular for lack of security, it seems like. Uh, A research firm did come across this uh, database, so hopefully this was not taken advantage of by anybody. But if you've ever used a service like Shodan, you can find this stuff extremely easily. Uh, If you haven't heard of Shodan, I highly recommend looking at it. They basically scan the entire internet on a daily basis and report back on various ports that are open and you know what services are running on those various ports and all kinds of fun stuff. So you can do searches on that and pretty much find anything that you want. So if you know what port MongoDB runs on, you could do a search in Shodan for that particular port and away you go. You could get into who knows what, right? So anyway, this is uh, just another... Yet another hack. I guess I guess it's good that the research firm found it first, but I'm hoping it wasn't taken advantage of prior to that, but we, we won't know, unfortunately. Some other cybersecurity news. The Apache Foundation, they do the Apache web servers. They have released a new patch that uh, hackers were basically able to do a denial-of-service attack, and they could do it all remotely, essentially. So Apache did come out and released a patch. So if you use Apache, like most of us do, go out there and get that patch and make sure you're getting that up to date. All right, but back to Shodan a little bit. Shodan does have like a paid service that you can use. You can do unlimited queries, uh, but they also have a free account. So it's worth checking out. Uh, Very, very fruitful. If you work at a company that has a lot of locations, each location has its own internet connection. And let's say you got servers at all kinds of locations. Even if you're using AWS, get a list of all those IP addresses, plug them into Shodan and see what you can find. Oftentimes you'd be surprised what you find. And it's essentially like running a free external vulnerability scan or a port scan, I guess you could call it that. Maybe not vulnerability scan, but external port scan on all of your IP addresses. So anyway, it's cool stuff. So check that out if you haven't already. I think it's just Shodan.com. Could be wrong there, but Google Shodan and I'm sure it'll come up. All right, the last thing in cybersecurity. There was a data breach for a debt medical debt collection company called AMCA. And the breach was so bad that AMCA had to file for bankruptcy protection. The aftermath of the data breach was just too much for them to handle, apparently. And, you know, a part of me says, great, they're a medical collections company. See you later. Uh, But that's a whole separate topic. Either way, it's sad to see that because of a hack, they have to completely, you know, go under and potentially close their business. So they were hacked last year from August 1st to March 30th, they're saying. And it got all kinds of stuff from Quest Diagnostics, LabCorp, Bioreference Laboratories, CareCentrics, and Sunrise Laboratories. So 20 million U.S. citizens were impacted by this hack. And there was also... You know, names, social security numbers, addresses, dates of birth, and payment card information. And the stolen data was later advertised on the dark web, as per usual. And apparently AMCA, they have a parent company 
called Retrieval Masters Credit Bureau Incorporated. And that is the company that's filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, which I guess would then include AMCA as well. Now, a lot of companies like LabCorp have severed their relationship with this company. I think pretty much all of those vendors there that I listed have severed that relationship with them. And so, you know, if you've lost all those clients, then, you know, what are you going to collect? What are you going to do collections on, right? So this, this is kind of what leads into the cyber insurance. So at work, I've been tasked with filling out all these wonderful, wonderful forms for the various insurance providers. And essentially, all of it is just basically a NIST assessment. The problem is that with each one of these vendors that you want to potentially get insurance with, you have to go through their entire questionnaire uh, one by one. And, you know, one of them was like 16 spreadsheets that I had to go through and enter in a whole bunch of data manually. And it was, it was quite a pain. So if you're ever tasked with that, uh, just know that it's not going to be easy it's very time consuming and i even have you know we've already done our own nist assessments by a third party as well we've had numerous ones of those for all kinds of different clients and whatnot and the insurance companies won't accept those you have to fill out their specific form (laughs) it is brutal it is brutal i mean the other trick here too is making sure you get all the right coverage for your specific industry and all the hacks that could potentially happen to you and the potential damages that could happen. So if uh, AMCA had this cyber insurance, they may not have had to shut the doors. You know, they may have been able to use that cyber insurance to, you know, pay all the class action lawsuits and whatnot and, you know, recover everything. But I, you know, again, it's if they have the right coverage. It's all about the right coverage. There's a lot of loopholes, a lot of gotchas. So if you're going through that process, make sure that you get an independent insurance consultant of some sort that does specifically cyber insurance that can really walk you through where all the gotchas are on that because there are so many loopholes. I mean, it's 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 amazing because I was asking all kinds of questions to the guys that came in and, you know, one of them was, let's say, uh, a third-party vendor of ours, you know, gets hacked and it had some of our information in there and that got, you know, spread out all over the internet and sold everywhere, yada, 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 is that covered? And they had no answer at first and then they tried to say, oh, that would be covered in your third-party risk, which is a separate non-cyber policy. Like, okay, all right. But you add up all these little scenarios, and there's so many scenarios, you can always, almost always find a loophole in the insurance and what they'll cover. So if you're going to get the coverage, make sure you go through everything that they cover, all of the various scenarios and use cases and whatever you want to call it. And I would actually fill in more of those scenarios manually and put in more use cases into that agreement before I ever signed it. And we still haven't signed anything yet either, but thus far I have not been very excited about all the various loopholes that they don't have answers for. So anyway, it's it's not an easy process. It's very time consuming. 
and there's so many things to look for. So get those agreements down and make sure that you add all of the things that you think could potentially happen to your company as far as hacks go and make sure all of that language is included in that insurance policy because, you know, insurance companies are going to want to try to get out of it. That's just the nature of the beast. So make sure you're covered. There's so much to it. And the right amount of coverage is always tough to gauge. You know, they typically base it on your company size and things like that and the industry you're in and so on and so forth. But it can get quite expensive depending on what all you decide to be covered for. So there might be a little bit of give and take, but just make sure that you're aware of all those give and takes. And if you're leaving some loopholes open and you know about them and you decide to go ahead and get that insurance, I would personally go back and figure out how I would mitigate whatever those loopholes were to the fullest extent that I possibly could you know whatever it was I would lock it down and do whatever in the world I could to prevent that loophole from being hacked or exploited but anyway I just wanted to give my thoughts and opinions on that there's a lot of insurance language also included in it that's not exactly something that tech people um understand really i they were throwing out words that i had no idea what they were saying and acronyms and of course it people sound like that to a lot of folks too with all of our acronyms but anyway make sure that you get somebody that can tell it to you in plain english so you know what exactly you're getting into all right jumping over to cryptocurrency the price of bitcoin right now is at nine thousand eight hundred and ninety five dollars that is the highest we've been in quite some time and it looks like we're trending towards the 10,000 mark over the next few days. Ethereum has taken quite the meteoric rise here. It's gone from, it was around 260, now it's at 292, uh, just over the last, I'd say, 24 hours or so. So big jump there for Ethereum as well. Ripple's still sitting at 44 cents, unfortunately. Stellar Lumen's still sitting at 12 cents. They are still going upward, but I'm shocked that those two are still worth pennies. But that's a whole nother story there. And I don't know if I said it or not. I think I did. The the Coinbase trick that you can convert your cryptocurrency for free into various other cryptos that they support. So they do have a crypto on here called DAI. And their goal is to be essentially be worth $1. Sure, it fluctuates slightly but it usually hovers right around a dollar. Uh, you'll see it at a dollar and maybe a fraction of a penny, for example. But it does float right around a dollar. So what you can do, uh, before you can get to DAI, you have to convert whatever it is to Ethereum. So if I had a whole bunch of money in Ethereum today and I saw the price go up the way it did, I would consider taking out some of that Ethereum to keep those gains that I made, converting it to DAI, that way the price stays stable and you don't lose all those gains potentially. Because the market will you know, have its ups and downs, so... Yes, it's up today, but it could be down tomorrow. You just never know. But DAI is one that's just about a dollar all the time. And Coinbase allows you to swap whatever crypto you've got for free. And uh, I would take full advantage of that uh, if you haven't already. All right, some other crypto-related news. The Bank of England, their governor, Mark Carney, uh, gave a speech yesterday and was talking about distributed ledger tech and blah, blah, blah. And he says it basically has the potential to unlock billions of pounds in capital and liquidity. 
So it appears that the English folks are about to get on board with blockchain technologies. And specifically, he was talking about tokenized assets backed with central bank money. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So the, the English folks are getting in on this as well. I'm sure a lot of people over there already are in on it. But, uh, you know, bigger banks are getting into it as well over there. All right. There's still the wonderful drama about Facebook Libra. If you haven't been following the drama, it's, it's uh, quite entertaining. But the, uh, that same Bank of England uh, governor guy... He came out, this was again yesterday in his speech, he said that uh, their Libra crypto is going to meet the highest standards in regulations. It's going to be like a regulatory hurricane. (laughs) So I couldn't agree more. And I think Facebook got blindsided by the U.S. lawmakers that told them to stop. And they're not allowed to release this product until all of these details and regulations are now worked out. So keep watching that. That's uh, definitely an ever-evolving story. I put a poll out on Twitter the other day about would you buy Facebook Libra. 25% of the people said yes, and 75% said no. So interesting stuff there. I think I would buy it initially, and once it goes up, I'd sell. But yeah, there's so much drama with that uh Being that they're going to be the most highly regulated cryptocurrency, it makes me wonder, are people going to want to be in on that? Because who knows what they're going to be required to track uh, as far as, you know, where you're sending your money. I mean, is it going to be just like a bank would do? Any other bank would do? If you, you know, walk in and you cash out 10 grand, they got to file a suspicious activity report. Are they going to do the same thing with Facebook Libra? That part I don't know, but certainly be interesting to see what regulations are placed on them and and how far this gets taken because it's it's certainly a wide-reaching platform. So it's got a lot of ramifications if it's not done right. Some other crypto stuff, if you've uh, got any GPUs laying around, you might want to fire them back up here. Ethereum's getting up in price. Um, However, Ethereum 2.0 is set to launch on January 1st, was the last report that I saw. So they are going to release their proof-of-stake Ethereum. So that mining process might be gone here after a while. Either way, as the price is going up, you might want to jump on the bandwagon for a while and mine some Ethereum and and stack it away and get ready for their proof of stake. All right, folks, that's all I've got for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy, at CyberCryptoGuy. Check me out on there. I retweet a bunch of the articles we talk about here on the show. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.